coming to the U.S. has been um, like seeing, you know, color for the first time after always watching black and white television. It's just life was full of opportunity that I wouldn't really have had if I stayed in um, either Russia or Kyrgyzstan. I am an entrepreneur. Be inspired. We are incredibly powerful. Color outside the line. Open your mind. Dream big. Be bold. Take action. The narrative needs to change. We can fix this. We can change this. I know we can. Think broad. Think like abroad. Think broad. Hi, I'm Erica Dagnan, your host of Broad Mike Season 3. Today, I'm in the studio with Olga Vitasheva, founder of Shoptiques a fast-growing e-commerce platform that gives small fashion boutiques around the world a sophisticated online platform to sell their unique wares. Born in Kyrgyzstan, Olga emigrated to the U.S. at 17 years of age. Fast forward a decade, and Olga had graduated from Wellesley College, cut her teeth at Goldman Sachs as an analyst, and graduated from Harvard with an MBA. Welcome, Olga. Pretty impressive background. Congratulations. Thank you. Appreciate it. Great. So um, we'd love to talk a little bit about your experience. So, you know, really driven to solve a problem that came from your own experience. Uh, You became the first solo female founder to be accepted into Y Combinator's exclusive accelerator. After graduating from Y Combinator, Olga launched Shoptiques with seed funding from some of the top VC firms in Silicon Valley. This is pretty amazing. So welcome to the show. You know, we're so excited to hear all about these interesting things that you've done. Thank you. I'm so, so excited to be here and uh, really excited to share my story. Yeah, fantastic. So, you know, I'd love to start off with the origin story, right? So you came here um, to the U.S. at age 17. You know, tell us about that experience. Coming to the U.S. has been um, like seeing, you know, color for the first time after always watching black and white television. It's just life was full of opportunity that I wouldn't really have had if I stayed in um, either Russia or Kyrgyzstan. So mm-hmm. I was born in Kyrgyzstan, then moved to Moscow um, a couple of years after before the Soviet, after Soviet Union broke apart. So I really wouldn't have had the opportunities that I've had in this country. And so I'm incredibly grateful. Uh, I landed here. My mom is a musician in okay. Santa Fe, New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And so I came to join her, spoke no English. Wow, that's uh, a challenge. Was, it was challenging, but it was also really cool because you are essentially, you have to interact with yourself and you have to learn who you are because you're essentially quiet the whole time because you can't speak to anybody. Right. And so it was a really humbling experience because you can probably tell I love to talk. <laughs> <laughs> so for that year, year and a half, it was very much like thinking about who I am and, and what I wanted to do and what I really wanted to achieve. Right. So it's kind of like almost like being forced to go on one of those silent meditations of Vipassana retreats, right? Exactly. <laughs> and then uh, I started working at a Japanese restaurant. That's actually how I learned English. I was a waitress at a sushi restaurant in Los Alamos, New Mexico, okay. which was kind of my first job arriving here. And it was really fun because, you know, in Los Alamos, there's a lot of scientists um, that work in Los, Al- Los Alamos National Lab. So I essentially learned English from the best PhD people in the world. So it was really, I was really lucky. Yeah, that that's amazing. So tell us a little bit about, you know, your next step. You went to Wellesley. You know, how'd you decide to go there? What do you think that that experience contributed to where you are now? 
Um, Wellesley is an incredible school. I, you know, uh, when I have children and if I have a daughter, definitely will encourage her to go. Um, the Wellesley mission is women who will make a difference in the world. As you know, obviously Hillary Clinton is an alum. Um, and Wellesley gave me a foundation of believing in myself and believing that I, Olga Vidasheva, can can be anything I want it. And I have the skills and I have the confidence to be able and go and execute. Because, you know, growing up in Soviet Union, a lot of things were, um, it was not really about individuality. It was very much a community and um, everybody had to be the same rather than thinking that you individually can achieve something. And so Wellesley really gave me the power and the confidence to think about, I can actually do something and achieve something, and I shouldn't uh, be afraid to go and try. How do you think, um, you know, sort of having an all-female college experience informed your, uh, you know, path in breaking into the business world? Well, um, great question, because... Being an all-women's uh, college, you really never thought about guys in a way that I think when you're in a co-ed school is, where, you know, in classes, I always spoke my mind because I wasn't afraid that that guy that I like would think something bad about me. I really never cared about kind of making fool of myself if the answer was wrong or like it was all about speaking up in class. And there was a lot of competition, uh, really healthy, positive competition where if you had, you know, if there was a requirement to get an A, you was to read five books. Everybody read five books. So you had to retend to even differentiate yourself. But I think the point of speaking up helped me in my life so, so much. When I got to Goldman, um, 99% were, were men. And I was the most outspoken woman out there because I never really thought about men versus women. Mm-hmm. I just thought, oh, there's just people around me. So I learned how almost not to care about gender it, in a weird way, yeah. even though I, I was at Wellesley. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. So absolutely, as also a former investment banker, I was actually at Solomon's with Barney, um, you know, know a lot about being in sort of that very male-dominated dominated yeah. environment of banking. Tell us a little bit about your experience as an analyst and how you think it prepared you for the future. I loved it. Uh, Goldman was probably the best thing that happened to me because coming out of uh, Wellesley, I really didn't know what Goldman even is, to be honest, because I was an immigrant. My mom really didn't know that much about business. Uh, she's obviously a small uh, business owner. She has a studio now. She's a musician. But kind of finding a job was really through Wellesley, and the Goldman at the time was recruiting at Wellesley. And so I learned about kind of finance. I never had background in it. I did math and economics undergrad. So I came for a summer internship, and it blew my mind. Um, as an intern, even, I got to talk to senior leadership, be in those meetings, uh, really have impact, what I thought was impact. And obviously, I came back for full-time opportunity, and I spent two years there and uh, really got thrown into middle of projects. Um, this is crazy time. I was there 07 to 09 when the world was kind of crushing down. So as a junior person, you had a lot of opportunity to step up and, um, you know, just really take on a lot of really cool projects and work on a lot of stuff. So it really prepared me. I mean, I worked 22 hours a day. No, no kidding. I slept on the floor of my cubicle a lot of nights. But I do think that those two years 
essentially like 20 years condensed in the two years. And that's how I love to live my life. It also really showed me I can do anything. I mean, I physically can do anything in a sense that, yes, I can sleep for only two hours a night and go on the next day and be presentable and break through that kind of physical pain. And that's important because as humans, I don't think we use our full capacity in physically in, in what we do, mentally in, in how f- far we push ourselves. So it really allowed me to see that world. Um, and I love that I was around really, really smart people, you know, and I, I brought that to, to Shoptiques now where I only hire really smart people no matter for what role it is because I kind of selfishly want to be around smart people who push me to be better every day. Yeah, I think that's great. Well, that's definitely um, the sign of a good founder and CEO that you're looking to hire people that are as smart or smarter than you. So it's great to hear that. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about your experience at Goldman that actually gave you the idea for Shoptiques. Oh, my God. That was so funny. So I was traveling a lot. I worked on a lot of media deals. Um, I was in L.A., in Paris, uh, Tokyo a lot. And um, one time I was in Paris, and I was walking down a street, um, and there was this little boutique, and I bought this amazing pair of shoes. And mind you, this is, again, as I said, it's like 07. So really flats, the concept of flats was like flip-flops in the U.S. Uh, And it's hard to imagine now, but it really was. So um, I found this really high-end, high-fashion, beautiful pair of flats. And they were like 70 euros, so they wasn't even that expensive. And I bought a pair, came back to to New York, I was wearing them one weekend to the office, and all my banker friends were like, oh, my God, this is so cool. Where can we get that? And um, I was like, okay, well, here's the name of the store. Call them. And they were aggressive, obviously. So they're like calling the store. They're like, ship it to us. We want the size. The store was like, what are you talking about? Uh, We don't ship to America. And not only do we don't ship to America, like I don't even know what pair you mean, go to my Facebook page. So there was no concept of kind of global commerce or even online commerce, right? And so I think for me, it was sort of that um, red flag to say, hey, I have a lot of clients who are spending, you know, millions of dollars on their digital budgets to go and, and grow their digital footprint. And here are these boutiques that have amazing product that I just went and physically bought but then I'm home and I can't go back and find that boutique, can't go back and see what new arrivals they have. Why is that? And uh, because of crazy hours, I didn't really get got to answer that question until I got into business school. That's really interesting. Yeah, I, I think that's, uh, you know, I think that's actually um, an interesting story because, you know, a lot of people kind of come up, come up with an idea but might not, you know, manifest it into the world for a few years. So, you know, really exciting to hear the backstory of uh, what inspired you to found Shoptiques. So you, you come up with the idea, I'm guessing, during your second year as an analyst. Um, tell us about the path to Harvard, and was it you know always with the intention of becoming a founder, or was that something that materialized along the way? It's really interesting because I actually never thought that I would ever start a business. Growing okay, up, wow. my whole family is like kind of anti-debt, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you put your money under your you know pillow and you save everything and we're Soviet Union so Russians are very kind of anti-debt and very focused on um, savings and I think they have mistrust around banks and all that stuff really kind of impacted me because um, the Soviet Union broke apart at the time and my grandma was um, one of the people that got affected by the uh, financial crisis. So I saw it all firsthand. So I never thought about myself as an entrepreneur. Um, I 
started a lot of things when I was in school, um, you know, organized uh, performances for my whole neighborhood, but they weren't within kind of intent to start a business. Um, and so I think kind of going to business school and seeing this idea, I was first very interested in going and joining another company. At the time, Google started boutiques.com. So I was convinced I'm just going to go work for Google because I was so passionate about the space. And I was really passionate about solving this problem of here's a lot of little stores that are really cool and have unique product that I want to wear. I don't want to wear the same stuff everybody else is wearing because that's very Soviet Union. I want to be in America, have individual point of view, individual clothing. I want to stand for something. I want to stand for small businesses because America was built on small businesses. So I had this passion, but I didn't really care how I did it. I didn't care whether I would go work for somebody else. So when boutiques.com launched, I was super excited. And then Google shut it down because they, instead of going to boutiques, which is really, really hard because they're small businesses and they're so spread out and you have to go after them, they went after like Net-A-Porte and Shopbop and called it boutiques. And I don't think that they executed in a boutique way right. rather than, you know, just really big brands. Technology was beautiful. Uh, but they shut it down before I graduated. So I was like, okay, if nobody else is doing I have to start it because I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life. Luckily, my second year of business school, I was able to write a business plan and do research. And it was my kind of year to convince myself not to do it because I I didn't want to do it. I wanted to convince myself that there is no point. The reason this has never been done is that it's just small opportunity or not possible or whatever. And so basically spent a year with this amazing professor, Noam Wasserman, who was at HBS, um, convincing myself not to do this business and then realize at the end of it that it would be really not smart not to do it because the space was huge. The real need was there. Uh, I tested a bunch of things during that year. And so I started executing and, and kind of testing a little bit by little bit and learned that huge space. Yeah, I mean, I, I love that you actually, you know, went out and sort of did the research before making the decision to start the company. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how you researched the market opportunity and any specific data points that you came across that made the opportunity particularly compelling? Absolutely. So I feel incredibly lucky uh, that I had that year because I think uh, a lot of the times once some other people start the business, it just so go, 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 go that you never really get that time to really reflect back and study the space and figure it out. So I feel incredibly lucky. I talked to 800 retailers during my second year of business school answering the same question, um, why are you not online? I call it a butt rule. You have to put your hands under your butt because you want to tell them the answers and you are super excited, but all you have to do is listen and write out literally everything, every single word that they say and then go through it and figure out other common themes across every single person you talk to that now things come up and that that's a kind of the solution you can build for them right. uh, rather than trying to tell them what you think that they need, you know. And since I started, there are a couple of people that launched competitors and says since shut down because I, I think that they never really did that study of what do people really want, right? The Y Combinator um, key point is build what people want or make what people want, right? Like that piece of um, don't try to build a solution for maybe a potential person. Listen to them. They will tell you what they want 
and then you can go in and, and build around it. And so that type of research was amazing. So talking to so many people, um, small businesses, you just got consistent answer. And it was something that I could really easily see myself executing and I was really good at. Um, and I think that if I if the answer was something that I was not good at, I don't think I would have taken the risk to go and actually do it and learn it. Um, I think you have to have some sort of expertise to be able to deliver on, on the product you're launching. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's great. You know, that's absolutely the right approach to take. And I think that, you know, for everyone who's listening, such an important business lesson, which is, you know, really go out and get to know your customer and learn what your customer wants before you start building your product or service uh, certainly can help save you a lot of pain and time and money. Um, So, I love that you're sharing your technique for, you know, making sort of a smart market entry. I'd love to know what you discovered. So you talked to these 800 boutique owners, you know, over the course of the year. What specifically was the common problem that they wanted you to solve and that you, you know, implemented into your business strategy? Totally. So um, the number thing, number one thing that was really important to me is that there was a consistent thing that they were good at. So they were really good at merchandising. I'm terrible at merchandising. I'm not a buyer. I'm not a merchant. I don't have that background, right? So they were really good at something I was really bad at. So that was perfect. And they were consistently good at it. And most importantly, they were putting their own money on the table. They were literally betting their livelihood on purchasing the merchandise that will work for their customers. So that was a big check plus for me. Number two was they already had a physical presence, so they were turning on the lights, and they had consistent customers coming in the door every single day. So those two pieces kind of were really important of what they were good at. And then asking them, why are you not online? What came up is, hey, I'm a merchant, I'm a buyer, I'm a salesperson, I am an accountant, I am a recruiter. And so... The online thing is just down all these urgent things at the top. So they already want to be online. They just don't know how. And so if I can build something that's really easily fits into their business already and just an extension of what they're already doing, that would be amazing, right? So one thing came up is we don't want to have a separate inventory between store and online. Omnichannel. We invented Omnichannel five years ago before it was sexy. So that's because of the necessity of the business. They might only have six in that product. They can't really have separate inventory for their online. Number two was photography. One woman asked me if she should hire Giselle for her photos. I said, I mean, if you can, (laughs) but I can't afford her. But the concept of how do you actually take this physical product and put it on the site, write description, photograph an item, um, was really, really difficult. So I knew that I had to address that. And then the third one was fulfillment, giving them packaging materials, giving them shipping label and making it kind of super, super easy. So identifying what they're good at and then closing the loop on what they were bad at. That's and we've lo- that's exactly what we built. That's great. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, getting into Y Combinator and how that helped you to turn your plan into a reality? For sure. So I graduated in June, um, and I was a maid of honor for my best friend's wedding in Indonesia. So I was flying down there, and I was kind of convinced at the time uh, that I'm going to start Optics. And so the first thing that I needed was a website. And I literally had $10,000 in my bank account, and I just, you know, graduated with 200000 in debt from HBS. So it was kind of not an ideal opportunity um, to be starting a business, but I think it was a blessing because it helped me kind of prioritize the right things. And I also knew that I didn't really want to go raise money yet before I knew that the idea is big uh, because 
every I knew that every relationship will be my personal relationship from everything I've built and those are important to me. And so got to Indonesia and between my maid of honor duties, literally asking everybody, oh my God, do you know any agencies that can build me a website for cheap, whatever, whatever. So found um, these engineers down there uh, that could build me a website for $10,000 and I could launch a private beta. And so October 2nd, we launched private beta and then my deadline. So on October 2nd, I launched the website and I found out about Y Combinator. These guys that sat behind me at a co-working space were like, hey, do you know about YC? They're cool and you're cool. You should apply. I was like, okay. Deadline was that night. So I was like already having stuff for two weeks and I was like, okay, I'm just going to put it together. I applied. Um, and, um, my, the second day women's wear daily picked up the story about Shoptics launching and we had 10,000 people on the wait list. And so I essentially applied to YC, got an interview, uh, once we already kind of launched a private beta, which was amazing. And, um, it changed the trajectory of my, of Shoptics in so many ways. I mean, the first one was, uh, I was sleeping on the floor of my friend's house. So, you know, because I really couldn't afford to to live, to, to get an apartment or anything. Um, and so the first one that's changed that I had a space, I was moving to San Francisco and I, they gave you, I think like, I don't know, 15, 20K um, for a little bit of equity in your business. And that meant I could have an apartment, which was awesome. Um, I was really excited about that. And then um, just being exposed to real entrepreneurs and and real technical people because my background to date was, you know, banking. Um, I modeled in college, so that helped a lot with photography bit, but it was never really in technology. Mm -hmm. And so understanding how to build organizations that are focused on technology, how you can execute on that, that was insanely helpful. Um, And having mentors like people who are partners there is just like Paul Graham, um, is amazing. You know, Jessica Livingston, those are real uh, entrepreneurs who build incredible companies. What were some of the challenges of building a two-sided marketplace? So you had to onboard the boutiques probably before you had customers. I mean, it sounds awesome that you got in Women's Wear Daily and, you know, that helped you bring on board some customers. But how did you balance that? It was so fun. Um, thinking back to those days, literally sitting down, having nothing. I was like, okay, I need customers, I need boutiques, and I need technology. I have none of that. So all of that had to happen at the same time. I'm building tech, uh, literally having all night calls with the guys in Indonesia. Then I'm going to boutiques door to door to door, trying to sell them something that's not even like they can't go on the site and see. Um, and trying to convince them about my vision, I think really helped that I went to Harvard, um, kind of that that name uh, was really, really kind of gives you credibility immediately. But it was door-to-door-to-door sales. And then um, convincing those boutiques to join the mission and to promote it to their existing customers and telling, kind of having them the ambassadors of a brand, right? Because they have physical, sto- physical stores where people coming in every day. If they can be the extension of your brand and tell them, hey, we are now online, especially in New York, right? There's so many tourists and they leave and they want to go and shop the boutique they discovered on their last trip, but they can't. Um, you know, we are able to give that type of logistics to those boutiques that typically wouldn't be able to. We now ship to 30 countries. So somebody coming into a boutique that may have never heard of you before and will never shop you again, now can shop you again if you tell them about it. And so empowering the boutiques to really help promote. And then press helped a lot in the beginning because, you know, Women's Wear Daily picked it up and then a couple of other people um, and telling the story of the boutiques and, and really the amazing entrepreneurs that they are. It's like an unlimited amount of storytelling. Amazing. 
So you raise your seed round, you're getting through YC, you have to rebuild the site, you know, reconfigure your engineering team. You know, once you were out of the program and kind of on your own, you know, how did you sort of set a new plan for growth for the company? The plan, it was really strategic. For me, it was more stores, right? So owning the boutique side because we sign exclusive partnerships as boutiques and I knew that the faster I can scale the acquisition of the stores, the more inventory I can have, the more customers can buy and the better the partnerships are. So that was one end. And then just growth, growth, growth. As you know, YC probably known really well, uh, very much for their growth expectations. You just had to grow in, in any way, uh, shape or form and kind of consistently iterating on the product and, and testing how you can get to that growth. And then tech was really hard because, again, I had such a crazy learning curve. Mm -hmm. You know, I've never done it. I think on the marketing end, it was easier and it was, and on the sales end, it was easier. But really understanding technology and making sure that um, you're able to be helpful to your team, right? I think I see myself as a support system for everybody and I'm there to help uh, grow them and, and, and grow the business, but not being able to be that support system for somebody technical is, it was difficult. And so I learned a lot, I um, you know, over the last whatever five years. So now I can and really offer some thoughtful advice, even though I still don't code, obviously. But um, I think that that was really, really helpful. What do you sort of think about and have you dealt with some of the challenges um, that have taken down some of, you know, the big established players in the e-commerce space, right? So, you know, we've seen One King's Lane, Guilt Group, you know, a lot of these companies, Fab, um, that have, you know, sort of grown very aggressively and it didn't end very well. Um, you know, what What would you say that you've learned from your competitors or players in the similar space that is helping you navigate your current situation? Uh, mathematics is black and white. If your user acquisition costs don't make sense, it will never make sense. Uh, so to me, you know, Etsy never advertised and they became a $2 billion business, $2 billion uh, GMV business this year or last year. And the really good businesses have to have product that they can scale without just dumping a lot of money into user acquisition. Mm -hmm. And I think as, you know, user acquisition costs went up, that's why those businesses didn't make sense. But there was no person that told them, stop, what are you doing? If you're buying user at $50, but they're bringing you 12, you're losing money on every single transaction. So to me, from day one, unit economics had to be uh, profitable and, and had to make sense. And I did sacrifice a lot on growth there because I had to make sure that every transaction is profitable mm -hmm. because that's why those businesses went out of business, right, or sold for very little is because they were essentially funding their own growth through investor money. Um, and so staying disciplined to understanding that mathematics was uh, really important to me. And it's not easy because you read about all those people who raise $800 million, $200 million, and their people are working nine to five. And, you know, then that becomes the expectation of what working at a startup is. But that's not really true. Startups are, you know, it's like building something out of nothing. And it's hard. And it's not intended. Like Craigslist never raised any money. And it's a huge business. If you look at eBay, how much money they raised – those really great marketplaces that you still know today did not raise that much money and they had to figure out their businesses much earlier on because otherwise they would go out of business. There was never that promise of you can raise any time. So you can fund, you're essentially funding your own business with investor money all the time and it just keeps going. Right. It is important to know your business too. 
right? Like as a marketplace business, those numbers would never make sense. I know a lot of friends who have incredible businesses and the user acquisition cost of 100 bucks makes sense, right? Like you have to be so in sync uh, with your business and understand it so deeply in the numbers way. And that's why I think Goldman helped me so much to look back and say, okay, in the marketplace business where I take a commission over the transaction and then I have to cover certain costs out of that transaction, I just can't advertise, right? So then I have to find other mechanisms to to acquire users. But I think people don't really take a hard look and say like, what business am I in? Mm-hmm. And there's some businesses that have to raise a lot of money, right? If you're in uh, manufacturing or anything else, like I think, I think it became kind of cool to raise money, and we stop thinking about why we are doing it, right? And what is there, and what kind of business we are in. So for a marketplace like ours, great marketplaces was built was minimal funding, and I think the biggest round that Etsy did was like seventy million. It was right before they went public, right? right. Like fueling the growth and, and getting ready. But before that I think they raised like fifteen million bucks. Yeah. Right. And so kind of thinking about who are kind of your mentors in a business space and how did they get there and does it really make sense for you mm-hmm. to be able to do that, right? Uh, Well, Olga, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I learned a ton from you, and I think your experience is really inspiring to me and I'm sure all of our listeners. Um, So before I let you go, I want to get into our pay it forward section, which is where we're going to devote about 60 seconds to making our listeners smarter. So this is a little bit of a speed round. So we want, you know, quick answers. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You know, you don't have to go into a long answer. Just the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, So first question, what are your primary sources of information? It could be blogs, shows, podcasts. Uh, I subscribe to Seth Godin every single day. I get his kind of inspirational, uh, smart pieces of information. New York Times breaking alert, that's must because you just have to know. And then business of fashion um, every single day, kind of a summary of the best uh, stories out there. Okay, very cool. What book are you reading right now? The best book I just discovered called Full Circle. It's actually um, self-published by the old CFO of Lehman Brothers. Okay, what's it about? Um, It's about her story starting out um, as a kid and and growing to becoming the CFO. And uh, I think that the full name uh, of the book is A Journey to Being the CFO and a Journey Back. I think she lost herself kind of along the way and, and... uh, she analyzes when she did that and, and how she found her way back. Uh, and then she had a baby at 45 and um, really kind of was an amazing is an amazing woman and, and had an incredible career and her reflection on that career. Okay, very cool. Do you have any rituals or habits that you swear by? Every single morning when I walk to work, so I for me, I must live next to the office. I optimize for my um, office experience because at the very least, you're in the office five days a week. For me, it's about seven. So I want to be next to it. So I have about 15-minute walk every single morning, and I listen to, to a new TED Talk. Uh, to your point of making your listeners a little smarter, I want to make myself a little smarter every single day and push my thinking. And then every single morning I wake up, I make myself smile, even if you know I didn't get much sleep, kind of um, signaling to my brain I'm happy and, and I'm ready to start the day. Really, really important to me. That's a great one. Who are three female entrepreneurs that you follow or admire? 
Heidi Messer, who was actually, I heard, the uh, first person you guys interviewed, mm-hmm. which is amazing. She's incredible. Uh, Pauline Brown, who is a, a really amazing mentor. She is now a professor at HBS, and she was um, North American chairman of LVMH before, and um, I started Shoptics in her backyard. I literally was sitting in her backyard. I had an offer to join a private equity firm in London, and I was like, I really want to start this business, and she really gave me the confidence to go and do it. Uh, and then the last one that I really admire is Ariana Huffington. I mm-hmm. think she's done uh, an incredible job and really pushed the boundaries in a space that was already crowded and so really exciting. That's great. What's the best advice you've ever received? Um do the best every single day and be the best. Um, I have a poster of Steve Jobs above my bed, funny enough. Um, but he always says, you know, live your life as if it's the last day and really believe to kind of be the best version of yourself every single day. And that's what I do every single day. I um, push myself no matter how tired I am or whatever, be the person that I want to respect in the morning of the day that passed by. That's great. Are there any particular myths that you'd like to dispel for your listeners, particularly around being a woman founder or just being a founder in general? Um, That startups are easy or glamorous. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I think that people just uh, consume information about startups through, you know, um, interviews and magazine covers and uh, magazines, and it all feels like so easy. It's so hard. You're not working for yourself. You're working for your investors. You're working for your team. You're working all the time. I work way harder than I did at Goldman now. And I thought that I worked the hardest at Goldman and I couldn't work any harder, but you do because you care so, so much and everything feels very personal. Right. So it's really hard. That's great. But super cool, so you should still do it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But I love, you know, it's not glamorous. That's, I think, a very important myth to dispel. Uh, What words of advice would you give to listeners about taking risks and perhaps in particular closing the confidence gap? Uh, you have one life. What's there to lose? That's if you don't true. ask, the answer is always no. If you don't do it, you're definitely not going to achieve anything. So remember that. Yeah. What's the worst that can happen? You fail, okay, you get up on your feet and keep going, but you have one life. And if you don't do it today, what are you waiting for? You know, we don't know what, you know, what can happen tomorrow. And, I don't know, climate changes and all that stuff. Go and do it today right. because today is the time you should be doing it. Don't put it up to tomorrow. You have one single life. I love that. And lastly, what does Think Broad mean to you? Uh, Cool question. I think it means thinking outside the box, but actually not even thinking outside the box, forgetting that there is a box and just um, being unique and different and and, um, really forgetting that there are boundaries, really thinking about the world and, and what can be changed and how to make it a better place. So uh, forget that there is a box. Great. Well, I love that answer. And thank you so much, Olga. I really love the opportunity to learn about you, get to know you, and to share your story with the Broad Mic listeners. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun. Wonderful. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. If you like what you've heard, please go to broadmic.com where you can subscribe to our show so that you never miss an episode. You'll also find show notes for today's episode and more than 30 interviews with successful women full of their stories and tips to help you start and grow your business. These episodes are a must listen for women entrepreneurs everywhere. Think broad.